Hello and welcome to another episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Mark. And while the world turns to shit all around us, Mark and I are going to strap on again and drag you and ourselves through the archives once again. It's, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. So, Mark, while the world actually does turn to crap all around us and frequently, uh, there's very little uh, Doctor Who news available, except for this rather interesting article that I picked up in uh, the Financial Review, the Australian Financial Review. For those who are overseas, think, uh, say, the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times in the UK, um, whilst you're actually still a United Kingdom. Yes. And while America is actually still uh, the United States uh, before Donald runs rampant over the top of you. Uh, this article is about the uh, the yearly profit of the Australian and New Zealand arm of BBC Worldwide. This is how much news there is actually out there, people. There's absolutely none forced to trawl through a financial paper. But it's headlined, BBC Worldwide plugs into Australian growth. Key takeaways apparently that the Australian and New Zealand arm of BBC Worldwide have reported a $33.1 million, that's Australian dollar, yearly profit. Uh, that would be for the 2016 financial year just finished. Uh, and sales have increased uh, 5.3% in Australian currency across uh, our two countries. So clearly um, the BBC or the, the marketing arm of the BBC is doing rather well down south. Um, that's what she said. Uh, I'll read the first couple of paragraphs which sort of contain the meats. And then we'll have a little bit of a chat about that. BBC Worldwide Chief Executive Tim Davey believes Australia will remain a growth market for the British broadcaster as it seeks to exploit popular content such as Sherlock and delves further into live events such as the Doctor Who Festival. The Australia and New Zealand division of BBC Worldwide reported a $33.1 million profit for the 12 months ending March 31st, up from, well, it quotes £16.3 million, so that's probably about 31 31 million Australian in the previous year. Headline sales fell slightly to just under 80 million pounds from 82 in the previous 12 months, and there was a sales increase of 5.3% again in Australian currency. So, Mark, uh, what do you make of the BBC's success uh, here in the Antipodes? Does that profit go back into uh, worldwide UK, I wonder? Does that then subsequently get pumped back into productions like Doctor Who and Sherlock and Top Gear, I assume it does. I would, I would assume so. I mean, it all, it all ends up back in the BBC with the BBC, doesn't it? Because I know in the eighties, when one of the uh, biggest uh, bugbears with Nathan Turner was that Enterprises were only kicking in like an extra thousand dollars or thousand quid an episode, and they'd be making all this money, but the show would hardly ever see uh, any of it. It would get pumped back into the all BBC organisational uh, proper. So. Australia is a market. We're probably not as burnt out and cynical yet uh, towards the uh, many BBC Road shows that come through. So they have like Walking with Dinosaurs. We've had obviously the festivals. Don't know about local Top Gear though. In actual fact, on that point, the article does say, and I'll read this out. Mr. Davy also said that live events such as the Doctor Who Festival and tours such as that by wildlife presenter Steve Backshall were performing strongly in Australia for the BBC. Mr. Davey says, quote, Far from seeing Australia as a mature market, we see it as a growth market. The key thing about the BBC in Australia is our degree of cultural connection. We've been really focused on the very highest quality television. The one thing that continues to cut through is quality, end of quote. So it's clear that those um, that uh, BBC Worldwide's 
worldwide sees that uh, uh, the product that it's selling, um, well, people are demanding quality, aren't they? That they're attracted to quality productions and drama and, and that sort of thing, and and even the, the the live the live performances, the live events that you've been to, Mark, um, as a driver of growth and, and profitability uh, in Australia and New Zealand. I think they've really tapped out the uh, proms events over here, Doctor Who wise, but I could definitely see another you know a couple of Doctor Who festivals traveling to our shores. As long as they mix up the format a bit, you know, uh, maybe uh, the next one, Mr. Sh- uh, Chibnall could come out with uh, maybe with Capaldi if he stays or with a new doctor um, and probably mix it with a cl- classic one as well. I think trying to get the mixture between the two, even though I think the BBC does classify the classic series a bit of a, an, an embarrassment. But I think to keep us old farts happy, they want to try and uh, shove somebody in there. From the old series. Do you think that um, the sort of round-the-world uh, extravaganza that uh, they've been engaged with since Capaldi came on board, or even actually with Matt Smith, mm-hmm. do you think that they might continue that under Chibnall? I mean, I don't imagine that it's Stephen Moffat demanding that um, or saying that we should do this. It, it must be the marketing people at the BBC who say, get the word out this way. I don't know, because Moffat's got... Obviously, he's got Doctor Who, but he's also got Sherlock, which I think probably is more popular than Doctor Who, I think. If it's going to be the same format with the same sort of guests and the same sort of setup, and then wouldn't interest me. But if they're going to do something different each time, that was a problem with the proms, is that basically the format was the same, all that was changed the music. Mm. I like to see them mix it up a bit. I mean, really, there wasn't much difference between what I saw at the 50th anniversary, apart from the guests and, and the scale. But in terms of the actual how it was run and the format, you know, it was chat, it was... You know, panels over here, it was demonstrations over here. I mean, they were pretty interchangeable. So as long as they can try and do something a bit different with it, then, yeah, good luck to them. I'm just wondering whether they've reached... Critical mass? Well, not critical mass. I mean, what else could they do in terms of live events? Uh, They've done, obviously, you know, cinema screenings of key episodes and they've done the the proms out here in Australia and they've had the conventions, uh, you know, with Capaldi last year or was it early this year? Um, what else could you possibly do? It's it's, it's a bit hard to think. Um, well, I'm not. I haven't sold my soul to Satan and become a marketing executive, so I don't really know what you need to do. But, uh, <laughs> um, so I'm bereft in that regard. But uh, you just sort of wonder, as you say. Well, I mean, have they? Are there any other possibilities in terms of getting the word out? Um, and do you sort of run the risk of uh, overkill? Overkill and sort of yeah. d- d- driving interest down instead of sort of fostering it. Yeah, I think that was a problem with the proms is that they, you know, they kept bringing it out every year or two or three. Mm. And I think towards the end, especially I think in the other states, I think Rob Lloyd was mentioning that attendances had dropped off. And I remember seeing emails coming through from a ticket discount to organisations saying, hey, you can, you know, get proms tickets for fairly reasonable prices. Mm-hmm. I think the next hook would be uh, a new showrunner and a new doctor uh, attending, uh, you know, coming over to Australia uh, to time in with the launch of Series 11. Do you think that they would do another around-the-world uh, trip with Capaldi? Um, or would they leave it for Chibnall coming on board? I reckon they'll wait till the, a new doctor is announced. Do you think they would do a farewell tour for Capaldi? Um, and if so, they would probably need to announce that well ahead of time, wouldn't they? I don't know, because from all accounts, he was absolutely shattered from the last time. Mm. Uh, so if they do do it again, they might have to stagger it a bit more where he actually gets a couple of days off here and there, not just flying from Sydney to Seoul and all over the shop. So I don't know what else they can do with it. And that's why, you know, they obviously play marketing people to do it. Just as you're all, we're all um, spend a long time dead, you all, people who play the Doctor spend a long time not being the Doctor once they leave. So 
uh, maybe that would you know convince Capaldi to come out for one last hurrah. But uh, as we were saying before we started recording, it's rather strange to an extent that there may be a very good reason for it. While during this sort of gap, eighteen to twenty-four months, eighteen months I suppose, uh, the BBC aren't really doing anything to keep the show in the public eye. Now that the very good reason may be that simply Doctor Who now is regarded as a simply another television show that is, you know, popular worldwide but um, doesn't justify additional expense to keep it, uh, keep it in the public eye. When people are scrounging for news stories relating to is Matt Smith coming back or not mm. in the next series, then things are pretty <laughs> dire. Uh, I'm a bit surprised about the radio silence from the BBC in terms of trying to keep the show in the public side, but I think the, the UK public have probably got other things to worry about at the moment with... Uh, recent events but this is the perfect time for people to embrace uh an escape from reality even another classic series run of episodes like they did for the the um what is it the doctors revisited do another set of those you don't have to put the documentaries at the front just say hey we're going to run a serial from each doctor strip it down four days a week or whatever what on, on um, tv in the, on in tv England, yeah in just to try yeah just try and get something on what bbc two three Three's been shut down, hasn't four? it? Four? Is there a BBC Four? I think there is. Could they, is it Fred? Could they stick it on Fred? Is that, or Dave, like, Dave. 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 Fred, yeah, Dave. Red Dwarf's coming out. Clearly the days of the classic series of Doctor Who being on terrestrial TV uh, are long gone now. It's. Uh, mm. I, I don't know that I would say that the BBC regards it as an embarrassment, but it's just not representative of where the BBC is with regards to its output now. And I think it, it, it unfortunately... Or realistically, is seen as something uh, to have cash, you know, to use to extract cash from um, from us, the fans. So, mm. uh, even though the the DVDs appear to be sort of becoming less and less available uh, as the as the months wind on, I've been trying to find a copy of the Web Planet, for instance, on DVD here locally, and I go into our local JB, and it's not on the shelf, but you go onto the website, and it's there for you know you to order. I just I find that a bit strange, but I'm surprised that it's still available. To be perfectly honest, I thought that one would be definitely deleted. Why didn't that get burnt and say Evil Daleks was kept? <laughs> <laughs> they got the other copy from Nigeria in '84, so it would have been balanced out in the end. But yeah, anyway. No, people would people would be saying that the Web Planet was this wonderful directorial accomplishment. Uh, and some genius production work and, and you would have loved to have seen it and oh the monsters were wonderful and the uh, the way they were realised and the effects and the Doctor is great and the, the creature of the monster at the end is truly you know eerie and, and, and strange so the the sort of things that we we used to say about uh, the Web of Fear we would have been saying about the Web Planet so and then we would have found it and people gone oh god really? Yeah as a great man used to say the memory cheats <laughs> Now uh, as we leave finances uh, in the rearview mirror, Mark, is there anything else going in, on in Doctor Who at all? Really, at this time? that You know, you mentioned Matt Smith might have been coming back, but that was sort of knocked on the head very quickly. And... There could be two ways you could look at it. A, the BBC want to, again, try to um, some, have some sort of mini-event or ratings grab by getting the Doctor, who just left a couple of years ago, his career probably hasn't taken off in the way he wanted to, uh, to come back and do a, a, an episode or two that would be basically saying that my career is in trouble i'm going to go back to the last thing the last thing that i was successful in which is un- unfortunate and on the other hand it's the bbc saying yes come back because obviously you know ratings on, on decline we don't know whether it's the doctor or obviously people are missing you so we'll definitely get you back in there 
there's no, hasn't been enough time go. It's like when Tom Baker didn't want to do Five Doctors. There wasn't enough time between when he left and, and that uh, production. So we keep banging on about it, don't we? Uh, Paul McGann to come back maybe to do an episode or two. But uh, yeah, I don't understand why Matt Smith would want to do it. Well, I mean, this this goes into the column marked hopeless fantasy. But I mean, if we were talking about the BBC wanting to keep the show in the public eye, um, you know, something like McGann... Uh, a couple of episodes, a special event, a TV movie, as it were, um, with McGann <laughs> featuring, you know, could have helped fill the, the process. You know, you and, and again, you get a different production team in. You, you know, you get a different writer and producers and stuff like that, and you, you just go for it. But uh, clearly, I don't understand the mechanics of TV production in the in the modern twenty first century, um, and there's probably very good reasons why that would never eventuate. But probably don't dilute the brand or, or be seen as uh, being out of Doctor. I don't know. That's a nonsense because everything's out of Doctor now, isn't it? You can go onto your streaming uh, service of choice and, and watch whatever Doctor Who you want to do. You mm. can pull whatever Doctor Who story off the shelf and, and watch it. And, uh, you know, it just uh, I, I, the dilution of the brand is, is I think, is is a furphy. Um, that uh, you would be simply reinforcing the brand. The brand is is Doctor Who. It's not necessarily who who the lead is at the moment. Uh, I think these days. Who knows, Rob? So there's no other news? I'm, I'm s- s- scrambling here, Mark. There's definitely nothing else going on? No, it's fucking all right. Let's okay, move on. fuck it then. All right, well, we'll move on. As we've uh, promised, this time we're starting in August 1988. Uh, this is just before season 25 has aired. What were you doing in 1988, Mark? I was... Uh, what was in, a signal event in 1988 for you? I think I was elected to the committee of the Doctor Who Club of Victoria. Oh, great days, Mark. And working at Target. 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 In the yeah. garden shop. <laughs> it was a strange thing, the garden shop at Target. I, I seemed out of place, but anyway. When I got the job, I did ask, can I work in the audiovisual area? Mm. And they said, no, you'd be better in the garden shop. <laughs> <laughs> well... Fun times and places, Mark. Fun times and, and places. Full of uh, blood and bone all over me. Anyway. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't contract a respiratory illness. No, but I used to put bags of great big bags of blood and bone, and of course, that have holes in the bottom of them. So I'd be putting them up on the top shelf, and yeah. blood and bone be raining down on me. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the spirit of 130 dead animals in me. Anyway. My, my father, who. Uh, who uh, worked in horticulture uh, keeps on reminding me just to be very careful with uh, with fertilizer like that because if you, if you do breathe it in, uh, it, it's not quite like the seeds of doom. But, um, yes, it's not quite like that, but uh, it is no, not no. not good for the lungs. Call me Keela. <laughs> what were you doing in 1988, Rob? Uh, second last year of high school, uh, so year 11, uh, in a largish country town. So just the usual. Not uh, pocketing my lunch money and buying a book at the end of the week. And, yeah, uh, that was it. Causing mayhem generally. Yeah. Um, the music was a bit crap that during that time as well. Oh no, I love eighties pop. Oh, I love eighties pop, but towards the end it sort of got a bit more. It's like Kelvin Harris, but even worse. I don't know who Kelvin Harris is. Taylor Swift's ex-boyfriend. Anyway, I'm talking oh. about that. Hiddle Swift. Hiddle Swift. <laughs> Actually, speaking of Tom Hiddleston, have you mm-hmm. seen The Night Manager? I haven't, but I saw High Rise. Ooh. Well, I'll say that The Night Manager is a very, very, very slow burn uh, thriller drama, but it's very good. 
Mm. High Rise? Paradise Towers was based on this. The book by J.G. Ballard. That's exactly right. It's much more in line with the book, this film. Uh, it was, like you said, a slow burn. Mm. Uh, quite graphic in places. Violent violence? Violence, or? yeah, violent. There's sex, debauchery all going on. Is there? Yeah, and maybe Paradise Towers should have been like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the highest, the closest uh, Paradise Towers came to debauchery was Mel in a bathing suit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a good film. I've come to the slow realisation over 25 years that Paradise Towers problems are more with production than the actual script because a friend of mine uh, bought the BBC audio adaption uh, mm. of the Target book and said... In quotes, it's brilliant. He hates uh, season twenty-four, okay. you know, like like a lot of us do. Who, so, uh, who reads the uh, novelisation? I think it's Bonnie Langford, actually. Bonnie. Yeah. Didn't she get uh, voted best newcomer or something for some award in the UK? Look, TV awards are like confetti at a wedding. It's everywhere. Mm. Mm. And doctorates apparently. Uh, Moffat got uh, a honorary doctorate from somewhere, and so did, did David Tennant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really know the value of doing that, but um... no, they can. That's all right. That's what they do with government money these days. Well, they need doctors to work out some of his uh, story arcs. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sorry. So all right. Um, <laughs> I think we've witted on for the <laughs> enough. Let's so hit it. We are in 1988. Uh, <clears throat> uh, right on time. Grunge is uh, around the corner. Not really. No, what? Really? <laughs> no, not really. What? 93, Grun- 94 Grun- for grunge? Yeah, yeah 93, 94. Oh, well, so five years. Bit five of nine years. inch nails. Closer. Clo- <laughs> 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 I watched. Um, what's the movie that we, that they did the soundtrack for? Oh God! Wait, don't tell me. <laughs> Footloose. No, yeah, Footloose. <laughs> they did Footloose. Uh, Let's hear it for the boy. Morgan Freeman. Um, no. Um, the uh, the one who's in uh, Spacek, Sydney Spacek. Seven. The, the head in a box. What's seven. in the box? The box was seven, wasn't it? Yeah, that's that's my point. Uh, yeah. They did the they did the soundtrack for Seven, didn't they? Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, and he also did. Uh, uh, the soundtrack for Gone Girl, which I thought was pretty good as well. Mm, yeah, mm. no, some good stuff there. If you yeah. like, you like a serial killer movie, get down yeah, onto you, seven. So yeah, it's like horror fang rock, isn't it? Really, <laughs> but there's more, way more depth. Way more depth. <laughs> anyway, right. let's go back to 1988 when all things were hair, you know, big and hairy and well, less hairy than the 70s. Mm. If you had, big, I was on my way to a, a decent mullet by that stage. I think right in the trenches of Stock Aiken and Waterman at this time. Yes, so God help us. And uh, DWB was the voice of fandom, the voice of disgruntled fandom, as we previously talked about. And the first article uh, is from uh, DWB, DWB57. It's headed, Mark. It's headed. J&T copyright breach storm. Oh, dear. A bit like storm over Avalon, I suppose. But uh, Yeah, storm I'll, warning. Uh, storm warning. I'll begin reading. I'll begin reading. John Nathan Turner is currently in hot water with the Writers and Directors Guilds over the unsolicited screenings of Doctor Who stories he used to take to American conventions. The BBC are holding an internal investigation into allegations by former writers and directors on the series who are claiming that Nathan Turner earned thousands of pounds to attend the conventions to show the episodes while contravening copyright because they were allegedly shown to paying audiences without BBC approval. And as a result, it is claimed that actors, writers and directors have lost out. Then under the subheading, bitter. While UK conventions traditionally raise money for charities, US conventions are notoriously big business operations and until recently made big profits for their organisers and similarly lucrative fees for the invited guests. An ex-convention organiser recently told us that JNT could command a fee in accordance with the number of episodes he would take along with him. 
and since most conventions are dependent on screening episodes, these fees were allegedly sometimes quite substantial. I'm reading a lot of allegedly's there. One past writer who feels very bitter about the allegations is Eric Sayward. Oh, that's a surprise, isn't it? <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> Gee whiz, knock me down with a feather. Who told DWB, quote, I am informed by the acting head of personnel, Pat Dyer, that John Nathan Turner is being investigated about the affair. People like Ron Katz, who organised many of these conventions, were making big, fat profits, and John Nathan Turner was being paid big, fat fees to take these tapes to America. Many people went to these conventions for the purpose of seeing the tapes, and the fact they paid at the door and received other services along the way, like autographs, merchandising, and so on, is incidental. He had no permission from the BBC, and they weren't taken for publicity purposes, which is sometimes what he said. And if they were then the tape should have been shown freely to the public and not to a fee-paying audience. Also, if he was so keen on publicising the show, why did he take the big fat fees for himself? End quote. Other people to have made similar allegations include former script editor and writer Christopher Bidmead and writer-director Peter Grimwade, who has complained to the Writers Guild. Saywood comments, quote, It is not a collaboration. We've ironically worked independently and it's come out that we've been saying similar things. At the same time? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> we've not colluded and that's the absolute truth. What John's done is he's abused his position as producer by taking tapes to America without permission and he's denied the fees due to actors, or writers and directors who have worked on it on his show. It's outrageous. It's total abuse and I hope we are paid or what is owed to us. End quote. The matter is now in the hands of the BBC's head of personnel, Glyn Price, and head of series, Mark Shivers. Dun, dun, dun. Well, it's unsurprising that uh, US conventions are notoriously big business operations. No. And, and after fat profits. It's unsurprising that Eric Sayward is bitter as well. <laughs> well, that was the big thing about the conventions back then was he used to go to... Uh, and we even did it uh, on a local scale. Obviously, I didn't charge people, but we used to have Christmas parties and say, hey, we're going to debut the new uh, story of the new, of the of the latest season. So, yeah, but we didn't make any money on it, allegedly. I attended uh, some screenings of Babylon 5 ep- episodes that come out to Australia on tape, and they filled up le- a lecture theatre uh, at, uh, at Melbourne Uni, I think. They were extremely popular. So in, the, in an era where um, you had to wait for your local broadcaster, or if you were like Mark, some sort of video pirate king, sailing the seas of... Uh, <laughs> The, the the seas of videotape um, you you just had to wait otherwise there were these things that sort of uh, filled that need weren't they I think I was more uh, Captain Pugwash <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh look you know that's how things were done in, in the late 80s weren't they the American conventions were big money and they still are big money the, the, oh, exactly well, yeah exactly what's changed you're still paying. To, you're still paying to get uh, autographs. You're still paying for attendances, and they're putting on a couple of episodes. But uh, America's a big country with lots of people who are happy to pay the money to to attend these things. And if you don't have the money rolling, and you're not going to get the big names, hmm. so I suppose you've. Uh, and it's no surprise that they want to turn it back. It's America. You can't fault them for that. But even conventions here, they say, okay, now while the autographs are lining up, we're going to show some Doctor episodes. Now, I can guarantee you, <laughs> uh, allegedly, they're not going to get actors or anybody is uh, going to get paid for those repeats in an auditorium, even though a disclaimer on a DVD says you can't show it. But interestingly enough, it says the Eric Sayward interview begins on page 38. 
we're not going to go and discuss that because is it is opening page thirty eight like one of those novelty cards that's got the sound recorded? So you just open page thirty eight and it's just one long howl. <laughs> it's like one of those magazines you just fold a page open and it sort of flops to the center. Is it is it like uh, Munch's The Scream, <laughs> <laughs> the South Korean version uh, that uh, Capaldi got? Jesus Christ! Uh, just... <laughs> what was that? I was screaming when I saw it. Seriously. <laughs> Jesus Christ! No wonder the world's we... turning to shit. Seriously, <laughs> she get yes. the guy to do a picture of Donald Trump like that. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump's the scream. <laughs> Punch that guy's head in. Yeah, Jesus. Oh, anyway. anyway, okay. Anyway. On the same issue of DWB, on page four, it says movie Doctor cast. The part of the big screen Doctor has finally been cast. But Coast to Coast are intent on keeping his identity secret, at least for the time being, exclamation mark. But we can reveal he is a well-known actor of international standing. That is nothing. (laughs) That's less than nothing, Mark. That's like, oh, we know who it is. It's a big name, but we're not going to tell you. Was it at this point that um, they had the producers had to produce something or do something, otherwise they would lose the rights? I think they had to turn the cameras over by 1993, and oh, that's so why there was that mad it? scramble to get Leonard Nimoy doing it. Okay. Uh, so, look, I think they're trying to do any sort of news because it was like a like a tortoise. It was just slow moving and nothing was happening. So, uh, but I mean, yeah. this is the classic um, article that says nothing. It's like a, a, a meal at McDonald's. Five minutes later, you're still hungry. I mean, it it ticks over interests, but it actually says nothing of substance. That's right. It's a narrow bar. It's it's like a it's like a a, a political uh, story in the paper that's based on opinion polls. Um, it, it it's 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 absolutely has no found, no foundation or substance whatsoever. A bit like the NHS bus and the Brexit. <laughs> What will you do with your three hundred and fifty million pounds, Mark? Oh well, apparently the next day. No, no, no. We never said that. Even though we're driving a great big red bus. Yes, well. <clears throat> yes. Jobs oh, well. and growth. It's all slogans. Actually, what 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 <laughs> has struck me is the is the ability of a Britain and b the Conservative Party to rapidly, you know, move to a completely different position. I mean, you you only see this in parliamentary democracies. Where the entire top leadership is decapitated, and the new people are shuffled in, uh, you know, with big grins on their faces, and everything sort of rolls on, except if you're in the Labor Party. Exactly right. <laughs> you, you can comment about this election though, because it's not over here. So well, I can say whatever I want. Yeah, it's go great. for it. Yeah. Poor, poor, poor David. Poor David. I've just had a thought just struck me. There is a comparison between David Cameron and Colin Baker. David Cameron. After the, 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 the general election victory late last year, would have thought, I'm going to be here for as long as I want, which apparently was going to be until 2018 or 19. And then he was out the door. And Colin Baker came in and said, I'm going to be here for the next seven or eight years. And he was out the door. So Nigel Farage is really Michael Grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you could actually say Nigel Farage or Boris Johnson or... Pauline Hanson. Yeah. Well, I can't comment on that. You know that. Okay, so we've moved on to DWB uh, issue 58, which is for September 1988, and that's the year, uh, the month of the AFL finals. Uh, I wonder who won that one. I think was it, it Geelong been, or Hawthorne? No, it was Hawthorne. Hawthorne. It was Hawthorne, of course. 
of course they beat uh, I think they beat Melbourne Melbourne they no, did yeah they did the year after was Geelong and Hawthorne yes. wasn't it they're correct uh, yes, yes. The, the so called greatest AFL grand final ever which is actually crap no it, it was, wasn't it was, it was very it was a great game <clears throat> for three and a half quarters Hawthorne were flogging Geelong and then they came back and they still lost for a very small margin and people were were playing with broken ribs. That's how good they were back then. They were they were men. Yes, they, like were, the they were definitely men, uh, def- and they had definitely men mullets. Go. They, yeah, they did. They did. All right. So this article is, and the new producer is. Do you need drum roll for this? Please. John Nathan Turner. Mark, there's a surprise. Oh, what a surprise again! I, I don't understand. I, oh, I, I thought dear. he was. I thought he's been wheeled out. No, I've All been right, persuaded well, to stay. Well, let's just read this to see if we can get a grasp on it. Mm. Uh, 8th of September, this stop press is is, uh, is uh, dated. John Nathan Turner, the producer with Pro Rata, probably the shortest CV in the world, has been confirmed by the BBC as his own successor and will oversee production of season 26 of Doctor Who. DWB today phoned Mark Shivers' office hoping for a quote concerning the supposed appointment of a new producer and was subsequently amazed to be told that Nathan Turner producer now for the last nine years and currently being investigated by the BBC for alleged breach of copyright, see your last issue, will be staying on to produce season 26. The big question, of course, is why? After so many assurances to the contrary, is Nathan Turner staying and in the process causing considerable embarrassment to himself by blatantly reneging on all he has said? Although in previous years he had always hinted he would be leaving after each successive season, only to announce that he was in fact staying, this year, it was conclusively stated by the BBC itself that John Nathan Turner is leaving of his own behest. Official BBC statement that comes from. Nathan Turner had stated categorically on several occasions, including in a recent DWM interview and Peter Haining's forthcoming Doctor Who 25 Glorious Years, that he was leaving after the 25th anniversary season to move on to another BBC show to double the credits on his CV. Ironically, on the same day, this was announced on ITV's teletext service Oracle, heading Time Lord Spared. TV Time Lord Doctor Who has been spared. Fans feared the BBC was poised to axe the long-running sci-fi show after the coming series because of poor ratings. But the BBC has committed itself to another season of adventures featuring the offbeat intergalactic do-gooder. And insiders say the planned 1989 series could have a completely new look and feel following the departure of producer John Nathan Turner. Well, it did. It had a new coat. He did, didn't he? <laughs> that was... And, and, was... Th- and thus a thousand Dark Doctor <laughs> New Adventure books were launched. It was so dark you couldn't see him. Sort of a chocolatey brown, wasn't it? It was, actually. Yeah, it was quite good. Waistcoat should have went, though. It was a joke. Any, any, comment, any comment on Nathan Turner's failure once again to leave? <laughs> look... It was becoming a joke towards the end, and as we found out in the uh, JNT bio, uh, if you haven't read it, please do. He was forced it, to do it. He was forced to do it. But then again, when we say you're forced to do it, if he'd resigned, would they have actually got somebody else to produce it? He just felt he was keeping the show alive by staying there. So, Mark, I found a link between John Nathan Turner and Jeremy Corbyn. Okay. Just as thousands of fans were screaming to John Nathan Turner, just go. So were dozens and dozens of Labour MPs yelling at Corbyn to just go. <laughs> and even David Cameron. What is it? The fans, the professionals all agree Jeremy Corbyn must go now? You know what? It's, it's as if all those people cling, clinging to Jeremy Corbyn, are, uh, it's the same thing as clinging to the rudder of the Titanic. The only direction, folks, is straight south. Or at the bow of the ship with your hands outstretched singing, my heart will go on. 
I saw a bit of Titanic a couple of nights ago. I'm sorry to hear that. No, I, I didn't mind it. I quite enjoyed it when I saw it at the cinema with a friend. And Kate Winslet is very easy on the eye. Very yes. easy. You wouldn't go back and watch it every week, would you, really? Because, you know, the ending just stays the same. So It's always stayed the same. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I did read, actually, at the time that Titanic came out, that there was a woman who'd seen it, like, uh, 60 times. Uh, Gee, a, a woman in America. I think, she, well, I mean, it is a... Before, well, it is a disaster movie, but it's also a romance. Um, so I, I suppose the, the love lawn out there who are completely bereft of uh, love in their lives would, would sort of seek it elsewhere. And Titanic, even though it, 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 it depicted mass death on a large scale, um, uh, was the place to find it back in 1997, I think. Yeah. And with Celine Dion uh, singing, same thing, really. Yeah. Ma- mass destruction on a global scale. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's not much more you can say to that about uh, J&T's sort of hanging on. I mean, it's it's all been very well covered in um, in Mr. Marson's uh, uh, biography. I feel sorry for the guy, but also it was becoming a joke. He wanted to move on. He couldn't move on. If he did move on, if he actually resigned, then would the BBC actually would have put a product on the air? We just don't know. So well, they, had, um, they had contracts to fulfil. I mean, I think the only yeah. reason McCoy lasted to his third year was because of a contract. Mm. Though... I suppose if it had been less expensive to can it than to produce it, they might have done that as well. So, which would mean that we wouldn't get it, wouldn't have got uh, season twenty six, which is um, it's a very good series. It is a very good season. series, actually. Yes. So the next item is from DWB issue fifty nine. Cruising through. We're breezing through nineteen eighty eight. So DWB issue fifty nine, October eighty eight. It says this will appeal to you and your Omni Rumor uh, shenanigans. It says NFT secures first screening rights on the Ice Warriors. The recently discovered Ice Warriors episodes are to receive an official premiere in December as a highlight of the second National Film Theatre Doctor Who weekend. The timely discovery of episode 1, 4, 5 and 6 of the series 5 Patrick Troughton Adventure was made during a recent clear-out of Villa's house, the former headquarters of BBC Enterprises, where they were discovered behind a filing cabinet in a large storage cupboard in one of the editing suites. Hang on a tick. It was behind a filing cabinet hmm. in a large storage cupboard. Hmm. So how big is the storage cupboard? Oh, I don't know. It's it's a box. Like a filing cabinet, wasn't it? It's a box inside a bigger box inside a larger box. But they were, I reckon they were just shoved behind there. They're stacked up, you know, on top of each other. Allegedly. Yeah. Ironically, though, they talk about a recent clear-out of Villa's house. It's the second clear-out they had. The first clear-out was when actually burnt the bloody things. <laughs> In the late 70s, but we won't talk about that. The 16mm black and white film prints originally struck for overseas sales, pristine condition, and are the largest catch of previously missing episodes since the time meddler and the war machines were returned from Nigeria in 1984. Imagine what could have been. Instead of sending faxes and phone calls in 1984, if someone had been savvy enough to go to Nigeria in 1984, it sort of... You wonder what else they would have found. A truckload more than what they've got now. Sierra Leone had season three sitting on a shelf to the late 90s. So, But just Nigeria itself. I mean, you know, it's possible that, say, Will in Space, Abominable Snowmen, um, as, lo- as well as a complete web of fear and enemy of the world might have been retrieved. I know. But uh, the find is obviously a major coup in other respects. It represents, for the first time since the early 70s, two-thirds of a complete story from the season 
Heralded by many as the finest ever, it documents the debut of the all-time favourite monsters. It further demonstrates Derek Martinez's deft skills as one of the series' best ever directors, and for fans of the series, it is the best present Doctor Who could have possibly wished for in its Silver Jubilee year. I'll interrupt you again. That's right. Sorry, sorry, Mark and the listeners there. Isn't it ironic that uh, 25 years in its series' 25th year, missing episodes were found, and then in the series' 50th year or anniversary, more missing episodes were announced to have been found from the same season. So Mm. in 2038, Mm. more missing Troughton episodes are bound to be found. Or Hartnell episodes. Let's keep that hope alive, shall we? (laughs) Uh, The rest of Villa's house has been thoroughly searched for any further possible discoveries, but to no avail. Although the hall did uncover such other notable finds as previously missing episodes of Z-Cars and the penultimate adventure from Adam Adamant's second season. There you go. So I remember with the Ice Warriors... Uh, when that was found, I think the BBC went into lockdown about that, but uh, it took a little while for the uh, pirated episodes to uh, make their way out of the BBC. I think I remember I got one phone call, uh, I think maybe six months later or seven months later at home, very early in the morning from my UK pen friend who said, I've got a copy of the Ice Warriors, Mark, I'm sending it to you. And uh, I got the VHS tape and uh, I did a bit of a fill and just held on to it till uh, the following year so we could present it at our Enlightenment 90 what, convention. What, what, was, the, what was the quality of the, of the videotape image? Um, there's a reason I still wear glasses, not for the obvious one. <laughs> it was better than the 10th Planet copy I had. But I think the BBC put... Uh, these ones had time coding on them. And I think even... Uh, I don't know whether this is true or not, whether... The actual physical prints have been marked in some way. I think the head of the archives at the time did some sort of marking on the physical prints for some reason mm. to to try and trace or track how these tapes were getting out. But look, Doctor Who fans are very resourceful, aren't they, really? Do do you know or do we know who, say, for instance, leaked your copy? No, I don't know who leaked my copy. Um, Interesting. I just got it. From my pen friend. Okay. <laughs> the old days. It's it, actually it's funny. Um, I didn't know anything about the Ice Warriors coming back until I actually picked up um, the relevant issue of DWB second hand that, that that mentioned that they'd been found. So I, you know, I wasn't as plugged in uh, as your good self uh, into the into UK fandom to know I, uh, that it had been found. So God bless Data Extract. They used to put uh, pen fan section at the end of the magazine and say hi. I like to swap, you know, ideas. Basically, it was coded messages. I want to swap tapes with somebody in Australia. Please send me an address. So I did. And, uh, you know, I think uh, I got the better deal of uh, swapping a copy of Evil of the Daleks Part 2 for uh, me sending over a copy of Arkham Infinity. <laughs> <laughs> he was a good lad, though. We, we did uh, trade for a while. and uh, is, he, is he still about? I don't know. Last time I spoke to him was, I think, when I went back to the UK for the first time. I rang him up, and he was. Uh, I had a bit of a chat to him, but uh, he alas, had, he hadn't transitioned or anything like that. I mean, the world's a different place. No, no. Okay, fair enough. He's a good bloke, though. But, good bloke. Uh, yeah. All right. Simpler well, times, Rob. Simpler so, times. Uh, well, missing. There's nothing simple about missing episodes, I suppose, Mark. But um, as you say, simpler times. Did I tell you? Did I tell you? Uh, or and actual fact anyone such was my uh, devotion to missing episodes obsession I, obsession I mean I was buying there's there's a couple of fanzines that were released at that time 
um, which had a very low circulation, which talked exclusively about Doctor Who missing episodes and missing episodes themselves, and all that thing. I I tracked down someone who had worked on some of the earliest Quatermass serials, and then emigrated to Australia, and such was my naivety and stupidity that I obtained his address, um, I think through the phone book, to be frank, and sent him a letter asking him if he knew anything about any missing episodes of anything from the BBC. And the gentleman, um, now this is in the 90s, the gentleman was kind enough to send me back a typewritten note, was on a typewriter, uh, saying that yes, indeed, he had worked on these things and, um, and no, he, he knew nothing. He knew nothing. But um, I was uh, reminded of this a couple of months ago when I was cleaning out a box in the garage and I came across this letter and uh, just goes to show that uh, stupidity uh, is the province of the, the young and, uh, and uh, but also eagerness as well. I actually found, I was cleaning out some stuff a couple of months ago as well and uh, I was cleaning out some my Doctor Who boxes and uh, I found a letter from John Nathan Turner. To your good self. To my good self, because basically what we were trying to work out if we could go back to the UK for a holiday. And I said, oh, look, I might just ping the production office <laughs> and see if I could get maybe a tour or a studio visit. You and were... I, I lied on the letter. I said, hi, season 24 has just screened and I really enjoyed it. That was a lie. And uh, <laughs> I got a response back from him. Well, from the, it had been signed by him. But yeah, I've still got the letter. That's nice. You, you weren't asking him for a sort of a, a, a place to lie down and sleep, you know, bunk up with him and, and Gary. There was no doable Barker action happening. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's move on. Speaking, speaking of uh, doable Barkers, <laughs> the next yes. article is headed Crisis Down Under. Dun, dun, dun. And again, this is from issue 59. With Doctor in the TARDIS reaching number two in Australia, number one in New Zealand, once again, New Zealand beats us, Mark. What's going on? Actually, ahead of their time. People yeah. give them a lot of rubbish. But you know what? In terms of technology and uh, some of the work they're doing, uh, in terms of app development and, mm. and financial industry uh, IT work, they're, yeah. they're really ahead of the game. So uh, it wasn't, to, wasn't uh, uh, there was a famous physicist whose last name was Rutherford. He he got the Nobel Prize for I think physics and his work in radioactivity, and he was from New Zealand. Mm, there so, you go. There you go. I think I'm right. Um, not not Mike Rutherford from Genesis. Uh, no, I can't remember his name. Oh. Uh, uh, anyway, it all led to Hiroshima. Doctor Who's future on ABC television looks decidedly unhealthier following the purchase of season 24 by the state-owned station. Well, I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> Starting on, appropriately, Halloween, October 31st, <laughs> the season has been given a five-night weekly 5.30pm slot, placing it firmly in the middle of children's viewing and meaning it will be completed in less than three weeks. Still too long. Uh, subheading demotion. Because of it, this demotion, out of its standard first-run slot... Well, what was its standard first-run slot back then, Mark? Was it six? Was it six thirty? Six thirty used to be six thirty weeknights, wasn't what, it? What going into the national news? Yeah. Talk about a lead-in, my God. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> All right. So because of this demotion out of its standard first-run slot, ABC will not be publicising Sylvester McCoy's debut in Australia, and to worsen matters, has warned that Doctor Who's future in Australia will be based on the results of the season. Ironically, the very one which received crushing reviews both in Britain and America. The various fan clubs affiliated over Australia have joined forces in a desperate effort to gain publicity for the season, which will be over by December, and by which time Doctor Who's fate could be decided. Don't remember that. I will touch on that in a moment. Uh, if ABC should decide to drop the series, then there is a possibility it could be picked up by one of the three main commercial networks. 
If not, then fans worldwide could feel ripples of unrest if Doctor Who eventually loses one of its original and major markets. We'll keep you posted on developments. So there wasn't uh, a desperate banding together by the disparate clubs in Australia to save Doctor Who, a la Anthony Howe's uh, guerrilla efforts in the late 70s? No, I don't remember anything like that. I don't remember us getting together singing uh, Doctor in Distress Australian style either. So, no, I don't know what that all that's about. We should sit down, Mark, and actually do an Australian version of uh, Doctor Who in Distress. You know, with gum leaves and didgeridoos and uh, washboards and stuff like that. I have got the instrumental version just kicking around, so we could do something, but... Uh, Christ almighty, like, there's an instrumental version, is there? <laughs> there is, yeah, yeah. Mark, is there no end to the horror? There's no end to the horror, no. I mean, that would have been uh, screened, what, during the afternoon show? Yeah, it was screened in the afternoon show, and I think when... Uh, I remember that was the time Paradise Towers came on again, and... Again? What, Hadn't uh, they inflicted enough well, pain and on. suffering on the audience? Let me, let me rephrase that. I watched it when I got the video, uh-huh. and then when it came on tally, I said, I can't be that bad. Just sit down and watch it. And then I sat down with my parents and we're watching it. And I just, after half an hour of them going, this is crap, this is crap, I just walked out of the TV and actually turned it off. So there's any time I actually turned it off. So indeed, Mark, the memory does cheat. And it's still seared in my mind. Does um, What did your parents think of Doctor Who back then and your interest in it? Um, slightly unsettling, I think. They were slightly unsettled by it, your devotion? Yeah. Or yeah. devotion. It just, just seemed to be very... Like, if I look back now, it was quite all-consuming, really. Well, how all-consuming was it, Mark? I was involved with a club. I was doing articles. But at the time, you don't think it's all-consuming because, really, you only got school and whatever else you're doing. Target. Yeah, the the the, uh, the garden area in Target with the blood and bone. But the, the sense of pride they go, oh, Mark used to write for a Doctor Who fanzine, you know, and uh, he was very good at it. <laughs> they hadn't, written, hadn't read any of it. Um, so yeah, I think they were slightly bemused by the whole thing. They only watched it casually, you know, if it was on TV, but, uh, yours were indifferent, weren't they, really? They were, but then I kept, it much like if I'd started slaughtering small animals, it was a secret that I'd sort of clutched very closely to myself. Yes. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I, I just didn't talk about it. It wasn't, I mean, my parents aren't sort of big on that, um arty side or, or, or fantasy side or, or stuff like that uh, you know they're more interested in more well and that, that's 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 their choice obviously they're more interested in more prosaic programming you know sort of dramas that were on there on then on the TV and that sort of thing I mean they, they had they had absolutely no interest in it even though amusingly they were, we went to the drive-in to see Star Wars when it came out in 77 78 here so uh, they wanted to see Star Wars, but no, Doctor Who was something that they regarded as childly, childish. And I mean, if I'd been, I would have been, frankly, too embarrassed to talk about it openly um, in, in, in at home. And that's that's more me than them. Um, mm. Yeah, so no, I you know didn't. I sort of surreptitiously watched it on a small black and white telly that I had in uh, in, uh, in my bedroom and, uh, and and that sort of thing. Yeah. Actually, to this day, I don't, I still don't know. <laughs> they certainly don't know about this podcast. It's no, certainly not. No, well, no, I mean, I, I haven't even told my brother or my sister who'd be more vastly amused by it than... Uh, Mum and Dad would just look at me strange. Uh, my brother would laugh at me and my sister would be interested and still laugh at me. So uh, it's just just one of those things. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm a reasonably private person um, anyway. Uh, and I, I don't tell anyone at work that we do this sort of thing or anything like that, even though, you know... Um, yeah, no, I just I just keep it to myself. 
No, I think it's because uh, when we were growing up watching it, it wasn't, let's be honest, the most popular show on television. I remember at high school, when you know, I think we just first started, and they, they go around the class and say, what's your favourite TV show? And I think everybody was saying, like, you know, The A-Team or something like that. And I said, well, Doctor Who. And it's like, ugh, like that. And, um, of course, as the years went through and, and what was being served up on, on the television wasn't particularly great and reinforced in some people's view why that show was... Uh, is, wasn't particularly good at the time. Mm. I've really, I don't tell anybody, even today, even though the show is all popular now and, you know, all, all these, um, everybody's jumped on the bandwagon and talk about it openly, there's still mm. this this big uh, reluctance on my part to really open up. Mm. I think I let the guard down slightly at a work trivia event a couple of years ago when the guy coming up the questions thought, here's a question that nobody will get. <laughs> and they said, who was the first actor to play Davros? Went, oh, Michael Wisher. And they, all, <laughs> and they all turned around and it was like that you know, needle dropping on the record. <laughs> That's brilliant. So, uh, yes. And I don't tell anybody about this podcasting, although ironically, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I got in a cab and this, uh, this taxi driver, he's got a blog. He goes, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. I wonder how you do it. Oh, let me tell you, son. And uh, he's writing all the stuff down. After he obviously dropped me off, he's writing all the stuff down, what to do. Did he give you a discount? very knowledgeable. I said, how do you do? I said, oh, I've got friends of mine who do it. And I, and I help out on the editing side. Well, actually, I remember as part of a uh, team meeting, we did a bit of an icebreaker. This is about 15 or 16 years ago. And, what you know, you sort of answer questions. What's your favourite this? What's your favourite that? And someone said, "What's your f-? the question was, what's your two favourite TV shows? And uh, I don't know, I must have been feeling brave that day. I said, uh, well, favourite current TV show is NYPD Blue. And the other one is, uh, is is Doctor Who. And so how old was I then? About 30, I think. And there were just sort of wise nodding of heads and people looking at me sideways going, mm, I'm so sorry. I don't know about that. And it's sort of afterwards, you sort of feel a sting in yourself going, what did I say that for? They now think less of me. <laughs> and ironically, when I went to my high school reunion, they were going... Uh, all the people who are bagging you going, oh, isn't Doctor Who fantastic? Mm. And I'm going, where were you? Where were you, people? You are giving me grief, and now you're on the bandwagon. Well, fuck you, and I walked off. <laughs> you know what? This is what you should... That is what you should aim to say at all school reunions. Line some of the pricks up and say, and fuck you as well. <laughs> no, it was all right. They were good That's all right. My, uh, my 30th uh, anniversary for my uh, end of year... Uh, end of high school thing is coming up in the next few years. What remand centre is that being held at? Uh, well, <laughs> the Melbourne Remand Centre. I walked past it uh, this week, actually. Uh, it's a sad I... place, the Remand Centre. There's this lonely women standing at, sitting at the front, hollow wide, and uh, track marks everywhere, and it's just not nice. So. Hmm. Now, speaking of that, uh, J&T Mugged is the next headline here. It's not coffee uh, mugged, is it, Mark? Or? No, no. Uh, Today magazine recently reported in its confidential column that John Nathan Turner was mugged on his way home in Shepherd's Bush tube station. Although he was apparently unharmed, his attacker ran off with gold chains, which he snatched from Nathan Turner's neck. The newspaper report appeared to be sending the incident up as they likened John's appearance to a bearded Russell Grant. So the guy got mugged and he was in physical harm and potentially could have been, you know, seriously injured or killed and they're taking the piss out of it. It wasn't a Yeti that assaulted him in the tube station by any chance, was it? No. That sounds like a line out of Doctor in Distress. (laughs) Yeti wouldn't get her or something like that? I don't know. (laughs) That's what she said. Um, Yeah, Yeti wouldn't shoot her. mm, Mm. mm, mm. Well, well, crime was a problem in the 80s. It was definitely a problem. It was and the reporting of it is still uh, pretty bad today. 
Okay, interesting. Mm. Mm. Uh, what was the next thing we're going to be reading, Mark? Uh, DWB issue 59, page 2, October 88. Uh, it says here, Radio Ad. Mm. Sylvester McCoy, Sophie Aldred and cyber leader David Banks, excellent, can currently be heard on commercial radio stations promoting Panasonic batteries, the first ever Doctor Who radio advert. Now, I do remember reading this little line in there, and uh, I thought, oh, it'll be on YouTube, surely. So I looked, I typed it on YouTube, and nothing came up. So I don't know whether anybody uh, recorded that ad. I imagine it would have been the McCoy music, a really bad skit, and David Banks doing, excellent, and then running out of battery or something like that. So if anybody has got a tape of that, send it through. Rip it as an MP3, or even send me the tape, and we can work some magic here. Because I'd be really keen on hearing it, because I've never heard it, and I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard it at all. I'm surprised that Richard Bignall hasn't been on the case trying to find that. Even Phil. Phil's got bigger fish to fry, Mark, apparently. But he needs batteries to get through it, so this is the perfect thing. (laughs) Yes. That'd be interesting to hear, though, wouldn't it, really? Ah, Well, I mean, you know, uh, for about five seconds, yes, I agree. I'm a party pooper, I know, sorry. Yeah, Panasonic batteries. We keep the... uh the power running in the Cyberman or something like that. Excellent. Excellent. Or delete, delete, delete. No, not... not, God, they're crap, aren't they now? They're really bad, the Cyberman. No, they weren't very good from the off. At the current... The new series incarnations. The new series incarnations are terrible. That's what I meant, yes. The stories are just rubbish. No, well, it's the stories. I mean, they're not used very well. They're not not used at all. Turn them into toy soldiers and Transformers. It's not good. It's not good enough. More than meets the eye, Mark. I'm watching Voltron, the new incarnation of Voltron on Netflix. Ooh. That's very good. Is it? Yes. Oh. oh, speaking of Netflix, I've started watching a new series called Stranger Times. Yes. Very good. Is it really? If you like your 80s nostalgia. Oh, yes. Uh, it's not steeped in it overly yet, but it's uh, it's set in 83, 83, I think. Very good. Very good. Um, Winona Ryder, who I don't think she's aged a day, God damn it, but... Um, why no forever? Oh, no. So we've cracked uh, DWB issue 60. Now we're in October 19. They were pumping these out, weren't they? Was it, was it one a month? One a month. Oof. Oof, I don't know, I don't know yeah. how Fandor could stay outraged on like, such a consistent basis. But it was plenty to be outraged about, about back Fair then. Fair enough. All right then, you so know. everyone's favourite topic. The rise and fall of Remembrance. After a modest start to the new season and an encouraging improvement the following week, the ratings for episode three of Remembrance of the Daleks slipped back alarmingly. 5.4 million viewers tuned into episode one, placing it at 78 in the top 100 compared to 5.1 for part one of Time and the Rani last year. But instead of losing 1 million viewers like season 24's opener, 5.8 million saw episode 2, again placing it at 78th position. But surprisingly, episode 3 slipped to 91 with 5.1 million viewers. However, the as yet unpublished figures for episode 4 are anticipated to show an increase. The figures, although lower than expected, are still an improvement on last year's and quite respectable considering its death slot. Episode 3's loss of viewers probably accounts for a particularly strong storyline in Coronation Street, which reached its climax the same day. It is also worth noting that the figures do not take into account the number of video recorders tuned to BBC One at 7.35pm on Wednesday evenings. In fact, it is thought that if such a chart existed, Doctor Who would figure in the top 20 of most recorded shows. 
Another encouraging sign is that Coronation Street actually lost half a million viewers the week Remembrance went on air, and in some TV regions, the Wednesday edition of The Street has slipped out of the top ten altogether. There's no accounting for taste. Uh, no, but... One of the best Doctor Who stories in years, and uh, it slowly goes on the, on the nosedive. In your opinion, if, you, if we ranked season 24 as a failure, what was the best episode of... Sorry, what was the best story, Doctor Who story, before Remembrance? How far do you go back before you say, this is quality? Caves? Caves. Not Revelation? No. Well, think Caves. Look, Revelation's very good, mm. but you're comparing it to the best of a bad bunch, really, aren't you? I think Varos is a better story than Revelation. Although I think Colin Baker's portrayal in Revelation is better than what it is in, in Varos. So maybe if you can switch the two out, uh, it might be a classic. But I think Caves, and you know, some people disagree about Caves being a, a cold uh, stone mm. classic, but uh, they're wrong. Call them in with the butterfly nets. Well, I mean, we talked extensively about uh, how you know the ABC Fast Track Remembrance after uh, Dragonfire Part Three had aired. So uh, that was in the anniversary year. Okay, so that was really good. Very nice. That was great. Happy times. They had uh, the cliffhanger of Episode One. I think on a Thursday night, and you had to wait three days to find out what. Three the hell whole days, Mark. Three, three whole days. days. And I, I haven't been that excited uh, probably since I saw Rose. You know, just that anticipation, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to TV movie, which was disappointment. <laughs> so, yeah, you always knew there's a niggling feeling in the back of your mind about the TV movie uh, after watching it. Well, because the Americans are involved. Mm. Anyway, what can you do? What can you do? Uh, we might go to DWB issue sixty-one in December nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, who takes to the stage? With the prospect of a Doctor Who movie ever reaching the big screen appearing to fade into oblivion and with still no confirmation from coast to coast of a lead actor, they have denied press stories claiming Dudley Moore had been cast. Uh, fans will, ex- will instead be able to see the series as an exciting new stage production from next March. It has been exclusively revealed to DWB that Mark Vanessa's production as one of the country's leading the- theatrical producers will be staging a national tour of the stage version of the show early next year. Although... It is still in scripting stage with a working title of simply Doctor Who. It would be penned by present television production members Ben Aronovich and Andrew Cartmore, both writing for the stage for the first time. A spokesman for Mark Furness told us it would be an extremely big tour, one of the most ambitious that we have ever attempted. It will feature lots of special effects, including laser tunnels and specialised lighting. Casting is not yet confirmed, but we hope to be able to announce our stage doctor in the new year. The tour will kick off at Wimbledon Theatre in London on March the 13th. A full tour list and more details hopefully next issue. So this is clearly an announcement for the ultimate adventure, is that right? Yes. There's talk actually of um, that coming out to Australia at some point with Kylie and Jason in the leads, but I think that was all uh, bollocks to be honest. Mm. Kylie and Jason, they are Freemasons. (laughs) Especially for you. (laughs) Have you, yeah. uh, no, the Doug Anthony All-Stars did a little skit with... Uh, oh, did they? And they? One of the lines was, Kylie and Jason, they are Freemasons. And then the follow-up line was something <laughs> exceedingly rude. So <laughs> I think I have that on a tape somewhere. I'll have to play that. Mm. Drag that up. But uh, yeah, there's the uh, the Ultimate Adventure play. The I've actually got a poster of that signed by the great man himself. JP. 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 Yes, it says to Mark. Hi. <laughs> No, not really. Yeah, there are there are recordings of the production floating around, aren't there? There are VHS recordings. Is yes. it? Do we know if it's of 
just the one night or matinee or is it of a, a couple of different sort of I'm not too sure I have seen one but I wasn't too sure what uh, it definitely didn't have David Banks in it no okay actually I think this one had Colin Baker in it actually mm. yeah I think there's one of Colin Baker floating around pretty ropey Yes, yes, it's sort of, you know... It's not an 88, 89. Tenth so. planet, yeah, off locks everywhere. Actually, now, whoa, 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 whoa. Mark. Yes. Please educate me. What is an off lock? What does an off lock look like? So when on the old uh, pirated copies of Doctor Who, it would go, for example, a theme song go, dung, 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 and all of a sudden the, the picture would wobble. Go, dung, 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 oh, dung, yes. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, go watch on the Revenge of the Cybermen documentary, Check Lies and Videotape. Fantastic. Oh. All the videotape trading days just keep rushing, just rushing so back. So is that it's on brilliant. in uh, the, the Cyberman box set, Revenge and Silver yeah. Nemesis? Yeah. Okay. All right, I might do that tonight when I should be asleep. Very good documentary. But uh, yeah, it's a shame they didn't bring that production out here. Uh, JP did it for a little bit and then Colin Baker took over. Just like his time on television, the audience dwindled. But apparently he was very, very good. Well, John Nathan Turner wasn't around, was he? The, no, there was Sayward, so... No, but remember they mentioned that Aronovich and, and Carmel were, were you know tied to the project for a little bit, and I think they just found it too hard going. Mm. So they got Uncle Terry in to do it, and uh, it had. Have you heard the big Finnish um, productions of them? It's got the songs and everything in there. Oh, really? And I, I have, a, yeah. I have a, the discs somewhere. I'll have to have a listen. Let's leave DWB to one side for now, and I'm sure we'll come back to it <laughs> time and time again. Sixty other issues to go, Rob. <laughs> And uh, we'll move on to Sonic Screwdriver, not the British uh, fanzine, but the Doctor Who Club of Victoria house organ, um, Sonic Screwdriver. And uh, we'll be looking at Sonic Screwdriver uh, number 54. And this is, covers the months March, April 1989. And um, this is the British Beat page, uh, you know, the, uh, their version of Gallifrey Gazette, no doubt, uh, by Andrew Watkins and one Mark. There's your name there, mate. Yep. Now this one uh, looks at season 26 and beyond and there's a whole lot of verbiage here and then it goes warning the following contains hot season 26 news read it at your peril this is all in, in uppercase by the way folks otherwise go to play hit the road do not pass go do not collect $200 that wasn't me that bit oh, no really I don't understand no. it anyway so uh, story no. one is uh, the curse of Fenric now this is hot news from the UK isn't it Mark this was stolen out of uh, Celestial Toy Room rewritten and published into Sonic Screwdriver. That's how hot it was. This is rolled gold hot stuff. This is, as I said, uh, as the French say, leveraged. Leveraged. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. So the first story is The Curse of Fenric. Uh, mm. The second story is Battlefield. The third mm. story is a little uh, one called Cat Flap. Uh, filthy Rich and Cat Flap, no doubt. Uh, and the fourth one is uh, Bestiary. Clearly what made it to the screen uh, was slightly different to that, Mark, and in a slightly different running order, I think. Mm. Battlefield was originally conceived as a three-parter, wasn't it? And then they expanded it to four. I think that because they had uh, Nick Courtney, they probably wanted to... Maybe there was enough story there to justify four. They listed it as, it's listed as four here. It is, it is four episodes? Okay. Yeah, it's four, yeah. 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 Well, there you go. Hmm. Probably worked better as a three. I, th I, th I think we've probably found in hindsight a lot of four-parters, especially in the 80s, would probably have best worked as three. Here's something that caught my eye. Uh, it says... BBC Enterprises to double profits by 1993. Ooh. In a recent development, BBC Enterprises have, it seems, have been instructed that they must double their profits by 1993, something which can only be achieved by increasing, 
in quotes dramatically, the number of video and audio releases with the possibility of the BBC archives being opened up for other channels and perhaps the public. The general message from the Thatcher government is that the BBC must become more self-supporting if it is to survive. Just as a matter of interest, in 1988 the BBC's income, not including profits made by enterprises, came to over 1 billion quid. Enterprises made a profit of 41 million quid and none of that went back into Doctor Who. So there you go. Uh, that was obviously they enterprises want to double their profits by killing one of their top exports. <laughs> well done. Uh, also on the same page it says play hits the road. John Pertwee is returning to portray the Doctor on stage. Terence Dix has, has supplied the goods on the writing front with a tale that looks to be similar to those uh, featured during the Pertwee era. The two companions to accompany the Doctor throughout this ultimate adventure have been cast, playing Jason's Australian actor Graham Smith, whose previous credits include The Young Doctors and Prisoner, self-location. <laughs> he has worked with Bunny Langford on the stage, won't hold that against him. Rebecca Thornhill, a young and inexperienced actress, will be bringing the character of Crystal to life. Talk about damning with no praise at all, inexperienced. Mm. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, okay. that's not... Who wrote this? Who <laughs> <laughs> paraphrased this from an, uh, another source? <laughs> I'll have to have words with him. Uh, yeah, so there you go. So, And also, the, uh, the, the play is features a creature called Zog, a new alien not seen on television. Interestingly enough, uh, Colin Baker was originally approached for the role, although keen on the idea, on the idea he wasn't too prepared uh, to accept the offer until seeing the script, which was not at this stage ready. Deciding to find work elsewhere, Colin signed up for the tour of the play of the comedy play Run For Your Life. Colin did eventually, as we said before, he did eventually uh, join the tour. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. Anyway, should we uh, should we go into some uh, letters, Rob? I think quickly we should. Yes, Mark. You've got mail. Now it's time for our letters section, but this time we're going to uh, do something a bit different. We thought we'd uh, have a look at some of the letters that were appearing in uh, DWB and Sonic Screwdriver from the uh, deep and uh, murky distant past. So we might call ourselves the Letter Louts for this segment. Rob, what do you think? Uh, We'll call ourselves the Letter Louts. All right, so uh, which one should we start with, Mark? This caught my eye when putting this together. I think this is written by J.R. Southall, actually, from uh, Exeter. It said, Sayward underrated. I've been reading DWB on and off for a few good years now, and it's pleasing to see that at last it seems to be losing its adolescent bias against the program it professes to appreciate. The Eric Sayward interview was by far one of the best interviews I've seen conducted in the fanzine, a truly informative piece with one of the best and most underrated script editors the show ever had. After all, this was the man responsible for revitalising both the Daleks and the Cybermen, not an easy task after Destiny and Revenge, as well as Visitation, one of the show's modern classics. On the whole, the show looks as if it's getting back on on the right tracks after the cancellation. And it makes a pleasant change to see a fanzine plowing on a parallel course, discarding the doom and gloom of other publications. That was actually written by Andy Smith. This is a bloke writing to DWB expecting it to discard the gloom and doom. But anyway. Hey J&T to do nothing uh, from Christopher Allen. So it was an April Fool's joke after all. Not your fault, I know. J&T is back. Was he ever away? Did the BBC even consider replacing him, or was it some kind of ploy to defuse Operation Who? I know it sounds paranoid, but could easily believe it. So where do we go from here? Another campaign in the press? Maybe. Firstly, though, 
I'd suggest to every reader who wants to see a new producer appointed, put pen to paper and write. Tell Mr Shivers what we know, and he clearly does not, that there are people who are qualified and willing to take on the job. Make JNT executive producer if he has to, or just pay him to do nothing. That's a good way to spend taxpayers' money. Either way, it would be cheaper than wasting millions on his brand of rubbish, which nobody in their right mind wants to watch. Ah, well, it was a nice dream while it lasted. Well, that's what it did in the end, wasn't it? When uh, they cancelled the show, JNT sat in his office uh, being paid to look after some of the merchandising and essentially uh, being paid to do nothing. Uh, correct. So, it, that guy was actually not done. It did come to pass. It did come to pass. So, uh, this one is from uh, Richard Thomas in Cheshire. Hello, Richard. He says, JNT wants to cast Doctor 4. I really think that for JNT to stay any longer is going to do Doctor Who and his long-term career no good whatsoever. Perhaps he wants to recast the Doctor again when Sylvester leaves after next season, as I'm sure he will. He should have left after season 21, and this would have left us with a new Doctor whose character would probably have been moulded in a different direction than the one we know. And who knows, Colin Baker might still be the Doctor... Now, very small print uh, under that it goes is uh, editorial goes. It is only fair to point out that JNT is not staying on Doctor Who out of his own decision, but has been forced by his BBC bosses to stay on for another season. Yes, I've been forced to stay in my employment by my bosses. Anyway, we've gone over that several hundred times. So, correct. So, moving on to Deep Thought, which is the which might even still be the current letter column for Sonic Screwdriver. I haven't had a chance to look at the most recent one. Uh, This is uh, from one Kate Orman. Kate writes, Paradise Towers is not mockery, Nick Murphy, unless you mean it's a satire on bureaucracy, dystopia, and corridors in general. It's far too sophisticated for six-year-olds to understand and certainly wasn't a childish load of rubbish. It's interesting you blame Mr. Mallet. While his direction wasn't brilliant, I can't see how the director can make a script childish. A bit static, maybe. On the same story, David Fitton names the chief caretaker as the worst villain in 25 years. Oh well, if you prefer Trist, Soldeed, Zaroff et al, then hyperbole is for you. So a bit of uh, Kate's uh, biting uh, wit there, um, obviously in response to some comments uh, in previous in a previous issue in, uh, in Sonic. I'll say it again, I think Paradise Towers' problem are purely direction and production. I think this comes across so childish. Mm. This letter caught my eye which I'll read out to you now. Hello, I must write to congratulate you on the recent Cyber Show meeting. It seemed that people were enjoying the screenings of the Cybermen stories and Silver Nemesis went down well with the audience, although I hope you cut down somewhat on the number of videos shown permitting as it tends to make people very antisocial. The 25th season was a dramatic improvement on season 24, but I do feel that Silver Nemesis was a bit of an anticlimax. What with the so-called return of the Brigadier and the real reason why the Doctor left Gallifrey nowhere to be seen. Instead, we got a Time of Chaos series, or something to that extent. In brackets, it said, that's the last time I take any notice of photocopy extract. That's a dig at uh, the Sydney fanzine data extract, is it, Mark? Yes, I believe so. Mm. But it still goes to show that JNT can still produce good who when he puts his mind to it. Remembrance was as good as Androzani, and Sylvester makes a very good doctor. Hopefully the cancellation, the sacking of Colin Rambo Baker, and the general chaos of the show is all past, and the future looks brighter than ever before. What a biting wit, Colin Rambo Baker. And such a such a sunny outlook for the future, uh, Mark, that letter. Yes, that was written by me, age 17. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> really? Yeah, exactly. The future looks brighter than ever. Look, listen, Mark, if you're there, 
Uh, fire up the Commodore 64. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send you a data a data tape back from now to, to 1988 and 89, and I'll just tell you what you should have done in the last 25 years. That dig I made about photocopy extract, that, a whole lot of... Uh, angst? Angst, definitely. Um, the next time we do Drag from the Archives, I might read you some of the choice cuts where what people were calling me. <laughs> well, no more than usual. Uh, yes, it really got uh, got a reaction. I was more I, I was making that biting comment regarding the print quality than anything else. But uh, were you a bit of a bomb thrower back then, Mark? A bit of a stirrer. Yeah, I was a bit of a stirrer. Did you did you have to get security? Were you in witness protection for any length of time? Or after reading some of those comments again in, in that sonic screwdriver, some of them were very very uh, yeah narky. Any any suspicious parcels in the post that ticked? No more than normal. <laughs> No, no cars with New South Wales number plates roaming the streets around your house. Hopefully we're all friends now. Oh, no. Fandom hatreds live long and linger and fester. 30 years later, they still they still carry on. And, like, uh, uh, like, like Dread Cthulhu dreaming at the bottom of the ocean until the stars are right. Sydney, Sydney fandom lurks in wait. Exactly right. And, you know, it's like going to a Labour Party conference and one seat Bob Hawke is in three auditoriums to the left, Keating to the right. And the same with the, the Liberals with uh, Howard and Costello, not in the same room. Here via Skype is, uh, is Peter. But yes, uh, I've got a lot of optimism back then. Look, it's the optimism of youth before it's ground down piece by piece. Especially the next year when the show is cancelled and nothing <laughs> happens. <laughs> Look, I would have looked forward to reading your commentary to your positive spin on that. It's just resting. It's just a flesh wound. Uh, I probably started listening to this and the cure quite a lot during that time as well, so that probably didn't help my usual sunny disposition. It's a bit of black eyeliner and some white face yeah. paint, Mark, and you're ready to go. I didn't need any white face paint. I was pasty enough. I used to go to goth nights. <laughs> <laughs> On the All right. floor singing uh, The Cure's a Forest, Into the Trees. <laughs> happy right. days. Happy, well, uh, happy times and places? Yes, I think so. <laughs> God. <laughs> but Mark, look, get in touch, mate. We need to have a chat. Yeah, get a grip, mate. So thanks, everybody, for downloading and listening to what is our equivalent of a DVD commentary. Uh, we'll probably do another drag for the archives towards the end of the year. Uh, next episode, we're going to do our top five overrated stories, which is probably going to be everything by Moffat and RTD. But we will try and mix it up a bit with a couple of classic series episodes as well. We're also going to have a special guest joining us for this one. So it's going to be a three-way underrated top five. That's what she said. So look forward to that. Before we go, any more uh, stinging political commentary before you go? (sighs) No, no. This week has been a horror week. Awful. Uh, Awful. Nice and uh, whatever happened in Turkey over the week. That was very strange what happened in Turkey. But uh, no, Nice was horrifying and your heart goes out to all the people. That, I mean, yeah, I can only really mouth platitudes in the face of such horror, but uh, it's just very sobering, just very sobering. So hopefully we've provided a little bit of levity, maybe. Maybe it's, it's too much to hope for, I suppose, in, in a sort of a really dark week. But anyway. What could be worse? One Direction releasing another single. Even my daughters are sick of One Direction. And then 11 and 9. So. What are they into now? I, I don't know. I've, I, I burn a CD of 80s songs and they love it. A bit of Australian Crawl, a bit of James Rain, a bit of uh, Starship. My, my youngest daughter 
loves Black Sabbath's Iron Man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. The world is upside down, Mark. Black is white. Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. <laughs> Have you gone to see the reboot yet of Ghostbusters? Yeah. No, I haven't. I, I won't be marching with the, the, the women haters out there. My problem with the film is, it's like, why would you remake perfection? Because Hollywood now lives on a diet of remakes and sequels, Mark. Yeah. And as I I, I used to sort of get narky about it myself, but then you think, well, look, Ghostbusters, you know, 1984's Ghostbusters still exists. It hasn't been destroyed or wiped or anything like that. If you want to go see the reboots, fantastic. If you don't want to see it, great. Just don't carry on like a pork chop saying that it's you know the fact that all women were cast is a is a, an attack on men and all these you know just the internet is a the internet is a fetid pool of idiocy yeah and you know the sooner those jackasses are, are thrown into a deep 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 pit the better we'll all be and if one of you assholes are actually listening to this show and you know aren't happy with what i've said go get keep listening anyway yeah <laughs> I might have to give you uh, your daughter some 80s music from my collection, Robert, which might be uh, slightly less... What's the word? Bogan? Are you saying my taste in music is Bogan, Mark? Well, James Rohn, Australian Corps, come on. Oh, come on. It's a bit of 80s stuff, isn't it? No. No? No, we need to have words. Right. A 17-year-old Mark's going to get in contact with you and say, it's not right, Rob. Please do. It'd be like that movie The Lake House where uh, um, uh, Sarah... Is it Sandra Bullock and uh, the bloke from The Matrix... Yeah. Exchanging letters, but different time zones. The lake house, mate. Right. Yeah. Okay. But there won't be any tender moments at the end, I can tell you right now. No, more like Porky's. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Porky's which, which I saw on the night of, but not before my uh, wedding. I'll just... Uh, as you do. As you do. As you do. All right then, Mark. So I think we should sign off now. So I've been Bernie Saunders. I've been Donald Trump's hairpiece. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.